Hello and welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. I'm Eric, Discipleship Pastor here at New Life Lutheran Church. Today on the podcast, we are hearing our sermon from this weekend as we celebrate Epiphany, which commemorates the coming of the wise men to the baby Jesus and their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh to him. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can find it on Podbean, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play Music. Our scripture today comes from the second chapter of Matthew, verses 1 through 12. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising, and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler, who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Thanks for listening today. Let's get growing. Have you ever gotten a bad gift before? Maybe it was your birthday, maybe it was Christmas, maybe it was this Christmas. And I'm talking a bad gift. You opened it expecting one thing, but somehow not only did you not get that, but you got the exact opposite. I mean, this was so bad that you questioned if your letter to Santa went to the wrong address and actually ended up with Satan. I mean, this is a bad, bad gift, right? You're like, what were you thinking? This doesn't look like me, smell like me. This is nothing that I would want. Why would you think that I would desire this gift? Well, when I was 12, I had an experience like many of you probably have experienced in your life. I got such a gift. And I remember we were at my grandparents' house, and our tradition was on Christmas Day, we would go to grandpa and grandma's. Grandpa would sit down. He would read the gospel of the story of Christ to us out of Luke. And then we would sit around the tree, all the grandkids, and we'd have our presents. And we'd go from the youngest to the oldest, and we'd unwrap our presents, and then we'd tell what we got. Well, when it got to me, I opened up my gift, and I don't remember what I wanted, but I know it was not a multicolored velvet sweater. And I opened up my box, and I pulled it out, and I did what all of you do. I smiled, that fake smile that says, I hate this. And I said in a high-pitched voice, is what we all do when we're lying, thank you. 
It was the worst. But here's the problem. Like many of you, when you receive a bad gift, you do one of two things. You either return it or you exchange it. Or if it's really bad and you can't return it or exchange it, you just hide it in a closet or you throw it away. I presented all those options to my mom and she said, no, this is from your grandma. And not only that, but she said, you will wear it to church on Sunday. And there's a problem with that. At church, there's people. People were going to see me wearing this horrendous sweater that no one should have ever made, much less worn. And not only were there just people, my friends were there. My friends who would see this on me and make fun of me for the rest of my life. And even worse than that, there are girls at church. And some of them were cute. And if they saw me in this thing, that meant that never again would they see me as a viable option for dating because they thought maybe he would wear this on a date. I don't know what's wrong with this kid. It was the worst and there was no getting rid of it. It was kind of my Christmas punishment that year. Well, all of you have probably gotten a gift like that that you wanted to return. In fact, in America, this is a pretty typical practice. We buy bad gifts for each other and then we return them or exchange them. The biggest shopping day of the year, apart from leading up to Christmas, that month leading up to Christmas, is actually December 26th. That's when we all take our junk that we didn't want and we go back to the store. We are literally willing to sit with a bunch of people that we don't know, wait in long lines to return junk we don't want to get something that we would like better. That's what we do. That's how bad some gifts are. Well, throughout the past six weeks, as we've worked through Advent, Christmas, and now we land in Epiphany, we have been working through the book of Luke. And on that, we have attached a sermon series called Christmas Traditions, because what we have seen as we navigate the story of Mary and Joseph and their child Jesus and all the characters interacting with them is that many of the traditions that we have today are actually connected to that story. And many of the experiences that they had in that moment were very similar to some of the experiences that you have had throughout this holiday season. So as we've been doing this, we've talked about a lot of Christmas traditions. But on Christmas Eve, we really got to the pinnacle Christmas tradition, which is the giving of gifts. Because what we saw on Christmas Eve is that God, this amazing story that God came in flesh to live among us, to experience all the hurts and the pains and the joys that you experience on a daily basis. He came down to live among us. And then he grew up and he showed us how to navigate life well and how to live and how to forgive and how to love. And then he went to the cross to pay the perfect sacrifice for our sins, the sacrifice above all sacrifices so we can have a restored relationship with him, the perfect gift. Well, the next week, we really kept talking about gifts. We talked about the Old Testament covenant of circumcision, how that correlates to the New Testament covenant of baptism and how those things, baptism is a gift to us from God that we can have a physical experience We can feel the water, we can hold their certificate, we can see the photo, and in that physical moment, we also experience this amazing spiritual truth that we are God's, a gift to us, that we are a possession of God's, we are in his family. Well, today we're going to talk about gifts one last time as we close out this season. But this time we're going to talk about three very strange gifts that were given to a little boy. And we read about this piece of history in the book of Matthew. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east 
came to Jerusalem. Now, as you've probably caught, we have been working through the book of Luke and all of his details. And Luke was a doctor. Luke was a scientist. Luke was a natural skeptic. And as he worked through the storyline, he tried to know, was Jesus real? And so he looked through the prophecies and he saw that those added up and that was real. And they started engaging with all these people, including the disciples and other Christians, ultimately Mary. And he decided it was all true. And so he wrote down an accurate historical account. But Matthew also wrote a gospel. Matthew also wrote a biography of Christ. And in his biography, he also wrote many details. Many details that we can verify, we can look into history and know that our faith is secure. That this story that seems so unbelievable is actually believable. That's actually fact. And so he starts off by giving us a historical detail. He says, in the time of King Herod, a king in a specific region that can be verifiable not only in the Bible, but other historical narratives, even secular writings of history. And as we look at those secular writings of history, we actually learn some stuff about King Herod. We learn that he was born in about 70 BC, and we learn that the Roman Senate put him in charge over this area as king in 40 BC. And so it was during this time frame that he has this interesting interaction with these strange men from the East. Now, we don't know a lot about these guys that we call the wise men. Sometimes we call them kings. Sometimes we call them magi. We assume there's three, but we don't really know if there's three. We just assume there's three because there's three gifts. We know they're from the east. We don't know the specific location. They could have been 100 miles away. They could have been 1,000 miles away. But they were drawn into this story. They were drawn into this piece of history. And they began to interact with Herod. But despite all that we don't know about them, what we do know is that they were astrologers. They were into looking at the stars. They were into interpreting dreams. They were into kind of like those mystical, magical type things. And so because of that, they got caught up in the story. They got caught into this narrative as God drew them into the storyline. And this is what they came to see Herod about. They asked him, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. So these astrologers, these people who looked at the stars and looked for signs and tried to read the future and understand life through the stars, God used the star, a star, to actually draw them in, to grab their attention. And this is just beautiful, because not only is God speaking to them in a language that they understand, but now he's bringing other people into his story. In fact, he's inviting the whole world at the very beginning of Christ's story into the conversation so that they can experience life change as well. So they show up at the most logical place where the star has led them, into Jerusalem, into the place where the temple is and where the king resides. And say they go to King Herod and says, where's the king? We saw the star. This is what this means. We've traveled through city after city after city. We know it's not any of these places. So we're here, where all the Jewish people live. And so King Herod, where is this baby? And this is how he responds. When King Herod heard this, He was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. Now, if we look into history, we actually learn some other stuff about Herod besides when he was born and and when he was king and all those details. We learn some very interesting things about him. He was notorious for being ruthless and paranoid, which is a horrible combination for a king. 
You see, what we see in history is that Herod, every time his throne was threatened, or at least every time he thought his throne was threatened, he would kind of go berserk. He would go into a frenzy. And he was willing to kill anyone and everyone to make sure that his throne was going to stay with him. In fact, history tells us that he killed one of his wives, he killed a couple of his kids, and he killed some other associates, anyone who turned on him. So when he was frightened, it was natural that everyone was frightened. When he was frightened, when he was in this paranoia, his leaders with him, his family with him, his other associates with him, the entire area was terrified because when Herod was on one of his crazy moods, it was going to affect everyone in a very negative way. And so people, Jerusalem, was terrified because Herod was terrified. So what he does is he calls in the experts because he had heard the story, this almost fairy tale at this point in time. Thousands of years before, there was rumors of Messiah, there was predictions of Messiah, but at this point in time, he didn't hardly even believe it. I mean, Rome was in charge. The Jewish people were not in power. Their Messiah was not coming. That was just a fairy tale. But he remembered. I mean, he'd heard rumors of it. So when it seemed like maybe a Messiah-type figure was popping up, he called in the religious leaders, the experts. He said, tell me about this. Tell me about the Messiah. Is this real? And if it's real, where would this child be born? So they respond. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. So they give him an answer that every Jewish little child would know, much less the experts, and they say, Bethlehem. Everyone knows that here. It's going to be this tiny, little, insignificant town of Bethlehem. And the reason we know that is because the prophet told us. But not just any prophet, it's the prophet Micah. In fact, if you flip to your Old Testament, you can find this prophecy in Micah 5 too. A prophecy made about 700 years before this interaction, before this moment, before this birth. And if you're like me, when I hear 700, I don't think, hey, that's not really that long ago. But think about that. Our nation was founded in 1776. That's not even 300 years ago. We're talking about a prophecy that was made over twice the age of the country that you live in. This would be like George Washington making a prediction of a small town that a future president would be born if the year was 2,476. This would be like you making a prediction today of the birthplace of a small town of the future president in 2,719. 700 years. Micah predicts that the Messiah was going to be born in this little insignificant town called Bethlehem. And he was right. These were, the, these were the, the prophecies. These were the fulfillments that convinced Luke that Jesus was who he said he was. So here was the prophecy. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Micah. 700 years before this moment, makes a prediction about a little boy that's going to be born in a little insignificant town. Well, this is how Herod responds. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men 
and learn from them the exact time when the star had appeared. So he clears out all the experts of the law, all the religious leaders, and he just calls in the wise men. Because he starts devising a plan. Yeah, he was ruthless, and he was paranoid, but he wasn't dumb. He knew what he probably had to do. So he asked the wise men, when did the star appear? He starts building a time frame. How old is this child? If I need to remove this child from the equation to protect my throne, I need to know how old he is so I can start narrowing down who he might be. And then he gets a little bit more specific. Then he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. Now, of course, the wise men weren't from that area. They might not have known what he was up to, but we all know because we know the rest of the story. But what he wanted to do was not worship the child or honor the child. He wanted to know exactly who the child was because he knew it would be a way better political move to assassinate one little boy than the myriads that he might have to if he can't figure out exactly who this child was. Well, the wise men go. It says, when they heard the king, they set out. And there, ahead of them, went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. So the wise men had traveled, 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 and traveled, probably questioned themselves a lot along the way. Are we crazy? Are we really doing this? Are we really traveling all this way to follow a star to see what's at the end of the rainbow? I mean, this is kind of a little bit loony. But they do it. And when they see that their journey has paid off, they are filled with extreme joy. And this is what transpires. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. See, Mary and Joseph had since moved on from the stable and ended up in a, in a house. Probably not extravagant. They weren't rich people. So when the wise men came, it was probably a little bit of shock that their house wasn't extravagant. It wasn't a castle. It wasn't a place fit for a king. But they went in anyways, trusting the star. And when they got there, there was what they were looking for. A little baby boy. And so they gave to a little baby king gifts fit for a king. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But the wise men's story wasn't over. This is what happens next. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. See, God communicates with them one more time through a medium that works for them. In their dreams, it says, get out of here. Herod has bad intentions. You need to go back to your home. And so they leave. And if you know the rest of the story, if you keep going through the scripture, we see what Herod does. Herod in a fit of paranoia. Herod in one of his frenzies. He decides to eradicate every child in Bethlehem. Every baby boy in Bethlehem to make sure that his throne is secure. So zero to two, he sends in his soldiers and he kills them all. But here's what happened. God just didn't communicate with the wise men. He talked to Mary and Joseph too. He said, get my son out of here. Take him to Egypt. Take him to a different country, 400 miles away. Get him far as you can out of Herod's reach because he will not stop 
if he can find this child. You got to imagine that conversation between Mary and Joseph. They hardly have anything. They're newly engaged. They have this new baby boy. It's hard to make ends meet the way it is, but now they're being told to travel all the way to Egypt. I mean, this seems unbelievable. How in the world are they going to pull this off? I got to imagine that moment when they're thinking, how is God can provide? They look down. And they see there's really strange baby toys that these strange men from the east brought them. Things fit for a king. Things of extreme value. Things that could be easily sold to finance a trip for protection. A trip to save the Messiah until he can return. See, sometimes we get bad gifts and we have to return them and exchange them. Sometimes we get gifts we don't even understand. See, in our lives, we have been given many gifts. And I'm not just talking about Christmas or birthdays. I'm talking about gifts from God. Things like our, our lives. Things like our talents, our gifts and abilities, our skills. Things like our resources. The money we have, the things that God has blessed us with. Sometimes when we get those, we don't really even understand the value of them. Sometimes we look at other people and think, well, I have this, this is nice, but I wish I had that. I have this car, this is great, but I wish I had that car. I have this skill, I mean, that's great, but I wish I could speak like that, jump like that, run like that, be as smart as that. But here's the truth. No matter what your gifts are, no matter what God has given you, this is the truth that we see all throughout our lives and in this scripture. That our gifts are for the king. Our gifts are always from the king, and they're always for the king. And that means that your lives, your time, your talent, your skills, your abilities, whether you wish they were something else or not, doesn't matter. God has uniquely crafted you for this moment in time with your friends, with your family, to use those gifts for his glory. Same thing with your treasures. He's uniquely crafted you to make the money that you make, to do the occupation that you do, to raise the resources, to offer back to the king who has given us everything. So as we close out this Christmas season, and we celebrate that God has spread his news to the whole world, that storyline is not done. God still gives us gifts so that we can give the gifts back to him. And the best gift that you can give this Christmas season is sharing his story, sharing this amazing story of Christ, the baby king who got some really strange presents but grew up to live a beautiful life, a life of love and compassion and healing, a life worth emulating, but ultimately went to the cross for our sins so we can be restored in our relationship with him. 